0: Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Adrienne Delgado. Adrienne is a registered dietitian and she works with clients every day. So she hears a lot of diet culture thoughts and mentality voiced by her clients. And today we're discussing how we can begin to take steps forward and create healthier relationships with food, even when you've been stuck in the diet or diet culture cycle for years. Adrienne discusses some very eye-opening moments that many of us have probably experienced that have unknowingly impacted our thoughts on food and body image. She has almost 20 years of experience in outpatient nutrition care, and her passion includes helping her patients have a positive relationship with food, improving energy levels, and empowering her clients to live their best life. As a working mother of five children, she understands firsthand the challenges of balancing health and responsibilities. Adrienne's specialty involves teaching clients how to create new habits, which include mindful eating tips and techniques, and Root Work, a unique program designed to figure out why we over-desire food and how to create healthier habits. In 2019, Adrienne became an author to her first book, Nourish, Eat, Repeat, A Busy Woman's Guide to a Healthier Mind, Body, and Life. Adrienne is also the host of the podcast, Nourish, Eat, Repeat, and I highly recommend her podcast. I have been listening to it for months, long before I ever knew I would have her as a guest on my own show, and she gives excellent information in a way that is simple and straightforward. So be sure to check out Nourish, Eat, Repeat, but first, you can hear Adrienne right here. Welcome to the Unstoppable Moms Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Breen, and here we bring busy mamas like you, seriously effective tips for balancing a healthy lifestyle with real-life chaos. The chaos of raising tiny humans while still trying to have those magical moments to yourself, not to mention your partner, your job, your social life, and all the things. If you're looking for the how-to for creating a healthy lifestyle for your family, actionable tips for losing weight in a healthy way, aka diets and no sketchy pills that just make you run to the bathroom and finding wellness without the overwhelm. Welcome, mama. You are in the right place. Well, hey Adrian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and, and have this conversation with you.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, would you mind telling everybody before we get started Just a little bit about yourself and what you do and kind of your journey that brought you there.
1: Sure. Um, Well, again, my name is Adrienne Delgado. I am a registered dietitian. I own an outpatient practice with my husband. Um, I always say that could be a whole podcast episode <laughs> in itself, how to co-own a business with your spouse. Um, but we have, um, when we first started out, um, I was a dietitian. He's actually a massage therapist. So we decided, let's just pull our resources together. And, you know, rather than have two tax IDs and how to run two different companies, let 's just pull our resources together and do this, and so um I guess that was two thousand and thirteen. We started, and now we 're almost ten years later, and we 're up to ten dietitians and five massage therapists so we've we've definitely grown over the years, which has been really
0: exciting so um, yeah, wow, that is amazing that that's so awesome that you guys both kind of just like took your skills and put them together and really made something that works for, for your life and for your family. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we also have five kids. So oh you want to throw that into the, into the mix. Um, they're older now. So I mean, my oldest is going to be 16 next month, which doesn't even make sense because I'm not that old. And um, And then my youngest are twins. They're nine. So we're out of that, you know, the young stage where, you know, it's, it's difficult in a different way. I'll say that. But um, but yeah, definitely it has given us a lot of flexibility to be able to be there for them, which is obviously very, very important to us. So very thankful that yeah. we have the opportunity.
0: Yeah. So fam- obviously big family people, you have five children and you, know, you created this business. Probably one of the reasons was because so that you could spend more time with your kids and with your family and being able to be there for them as they're growing up. So today, you know, kind of going off of that idea of the the family and transitioning into kind of the topic that we have at hand today, which is diet culture. So this is a subject that doesn't get discussed enough. Um, it's starting to get more attention. It, it is starting to gain a little bit more traction, but not nearly enough. And there's a lot of work and a lot of education to be done in it. So... I've talked about diet culture on this show before, but for everyone listening, especially for people who maybe they've never heard that phrase before, could you explain what diet culture is to you?
1: Yeah, I think for me, um, it's it really comes down to a set of beliefs that values thinness over anything else. So, you know, it's really built on shaming others for not having a certain look or a certain set of ideas or principles about how you should be living your life and how you should be eating and exercising and moving your body. It's almost as if there is this one right way. And if you are not part of that one right way, then you are all wrong. And you are all wrong physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, I think it's really interesting that we have the label diet culture now because for so long, it was just culture. <laughs> so to call it as it is now and realize there's another way out there, you know, is, is pretty exciting in how far we've grown from it has to look this way, can't look any other way to wait a second, what could this look like? And Wow. This feels so much more relaxing. There's so much more freedom. There's, I like who I am. It's like rediscovering yourself after a long traumatic relationship, if you will.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And, you know, you're saying a long and traumatic relationship because diet culture is something that we start to experience at a very young age, you know, especially women, not even, you know, a lot of times we don't even realize it or we don't understand it because as you were saying, it's is just culture. And many people go their entire lives without realizing how impacted they are by diet culture. And a lot of the times it's passed down through our family, like, you know, from, from mother to daughter, maybe. Um, And of course, our mothers love us and they're not intentionally doing this. But in what ways do you see diet culture passed down?
1: Yeah. I know one of my earliest uh, recollections of even the scale, you know, I remember watching my mom get ready every single morning. She would put on, you know, she'd get all dressed up for work. She'd put on her high heels, do her makeup. And I remember just loving that time watching her get ready because she'd curl her hair. I mean, it was just, it was so, so sweet of just, I can picture myself as a little girl watching her and I can't wait till I get to use mascara and curl my hair to go to work. (laughs) And um, after she would do all of that work, she had one last thing to do. And that was open the bathroom closet and step on the scale. Mm -hmm. And I remember to this day, I could hear her saying, I just went to weigh 135 fully dressed. Like there was always that at the end. It had to be in my clothes and my shoes. You know, I don't want to like, I don't want to take a shortcut and weigh that much naked before I get in the shower in the morning. Like it had to be at the end after she was completely done. And I remember watching and thinking how beautiful she was as she'd get ready. And then I remember watching her face and all of that changing when she'd step on the scale, when she would be disappointed or when she would be frustrated. I remember thinking at a very early age, like, wow, I don't know if I want to step on that thing because, you know, she was always so nice. Of course she's nice, but you know, she was always like engaging and we'd have great conversations in the morning and then it would almost change her whole temperament. And so I just remember that moment and I think of how many women, um, how many women use scales today and they think it's so harmless. I'm just going to step on and step off, but there's people watching and they're not only watching you step on the scale, they're watching your facial expressions. And, you know, so it's, it's very interesting. That's just one way that I, that I know has impacted me dramatically and before I even knew what it meant.
0: Right. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people can, can relate to that, that either the story of watching their mothers get ready or just, you know, seeing them step on the scale. And even if maybe they don't, even if they don't voice it out loud necessarily, kids are very good at picking up on energy. And if you see that drop in energy there, or, you know, the comments that could be something like, oh, I shouldn't have had dessert last night or something like that. Those really start to get ingrained in kids' heads without us thinking about those comments that maybe we're just saying kind of off the cuff or not, you know, your mothers aren't saying it directly to their daughters sometimes, but the daughters are picking up on it. And not to say that it's just mothers and daughters, not to like genderize it, but, you know, just using that as an example and generalizing right now. But you have mentioned before we need new scripts to navigate a new way forward. You know, as we're going forward into this world of discovering diet culture and kind of rejecting it, what are some of the changes to our language and to our thinking that we can make that can help us, you know, really recover and stop this cycle from going forward?
1: I think one of the, the best places to start is labeling foods as good or bad. Right, I think it's something that we do so. It's like we don't even put much thought into it. It's just you know I was so bad today, or you know even when I ask a client, um, can you tell me what you ate the last twenty four hours? I always do a food recall uh, that initial visit, not because you know I'm there to judge them. It's just to get an idea of what does their their day look like and what kind of foods do they enjoy, and. Usually, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, Oh, I was so bad yesterday. I don't want to tell you. Mm-hmm. And so, the problem is, it, it all starts with labeling foods as good or bad. And that's what diet culture will tell you that there are foods that you can eat and foods you can't. And if you want to be good, you have to follow the rules. Otherwise, you fail and you'll have to start all over again. That's the message we get from diet culture. Mm-hmm. Perfection is the only way to be successful. And so what will happen is we'll start to label foods as good or bad. And depending on how many diets you have gone through in your life, which for many people is a lot of them, you know, that list of foods to eat and foods not to eat becomes very long. I should say longer for the foods not to eat, because mm-hmm. each diet has their own twist as to what is acceptable and what is not. So now you have this long list of foods that you can't eat. So you're left with a very small handful. and. Um, you know, if you go outside of the rules, you fail, you're wrong, you're bad. And what inevitably ends up happening is we assign a moral value to ourselves based off of if we chose good foods or bad foods. So saying that thing, oh, I was so bad today to your girlfriend, you know, is a direct reflection of, well, because I ate the bad foods today. Hopefully that's making sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, And yeah. And so I always tell people the only reason you are allowed to say that you were bad when it comes to food is if you stole the food (laughs) or if you injured another person to get to the food. (laughs) Otherwise you are not bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happens is then you start to, you know, Create this idea of your moral value as being good or bad based on what you eat, and inevitably, inevitably, what happens is you start to escalate the the bad foods, and then you start to think about them and obsess about them, and you know until eventually you give in to them, and then it starts the whole cycle all over. I failed. I wasn't perfect, and so just something simple as not labeling foods as good or bad, just food. Not labeling yourself as good or bad, just I ate it and that was it. I, I am not better or worse than another person who did or did not make those choices. That has such a huge trickle down effect in your mindset around food and is probably one of the most important ways and easy ways that we could start changing the language.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I know as you were saying, you know, some people they've been through so many diets and they have a long long list of foods that are bad and you know foods that are good and they're so used to this mentality of good and bad. How do they even how can someone even begin to approach changing their mindset and not having those thoughts of good or bad? Like even if they're like, okay, I'm I'm going to take the label off. I'll take it off. It's not good, it's not bad. There might still be those like lingering feelings of guilt or just, it's really hard for people to kind of step out of that mindset. And I know that you work with people for, it can take them a long time. So just kind of putting it into a nutshell here of what is like a first step that people could take in order to stop those feelings of good and bad?
1: Well, I always say the two things that must precede change are awareness and ownership. So probably the first step is even realizing that you have those thoughts, because if they are so frequent and so common, your brain doesn't even recognize them as being incorrect or as a, as a reason for questioning. So our brain will believe whatever we repeat. And for some of us, we've been repeating a lot of crappy statements and a lot of crappy thoughts for a really long time. So it's really important to really start to dial in to how you think about food. And and that's just even asking yourself questions about it. You know, when you have that thought, a lot of times my my script is we're not thinking that way anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not serving Mm -hmm. us well. Is or asking yourself, is that thought helpful or harmful? Right. Um, Those are some of the questions that I start to ask. Um, I remember even just yesterday I had a client and you know, she was really struggling with diet rules. Like she has a long list of diet rules that she has been following. And, you know, so what was interesting is we talked about this whole idea of wouldn't it be cool if, right? Like, wouldn't it be cool if you could make up any, you could make up your rules instead of following somebody else's rules. What if you made your own rules? What would healthy look like to you? And so she listed out all these great things you know she like i would drink my water every day i would you know eat a variety of foods to get a lot of nutrients i wouldn't obsess about food all day every day i would feel my body for my workouts you know and i would and it was interesting because a lot of her food rules when we measured them up against her wouldn't it be cool if list the food rules that she was following didn't support what her envision for what a healthy lifestyle looks like. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden it gave her this opportunity to start questioning, huh? What if my food rules are actually more harmful than helpful? Does that I, make sense? Yes,
0: absolutely, <laughs> and I love that. I love the idea of wouldn't it be cool if and then kind of creating your own your own idea of what wellness is because I say this all the time. (laughs) Some people are probably tired of hearing it, but, you know, it is true. Wellness looks different for everybody. Mm. So you really have to figure out what that means to you because that will help you find what you're really looking for and find the changes that you actually want to make and not the ones that are a diet rule that you kind of hate and you don't want to follow and it makes you miserable. So, yes, finding what wellness means to you and wouldn't it be cool if. So... Like, go let your
1: brain go there. I think that's the biggest thing. Like we like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if I didn't have to obsess about food? Well, but that'll never happen because I have to, to keep my weight under control. Like we always have the rebuttal in place and we don't let our mind go to dream bigger and see what's actually possible. I know that sounds like very visionary and like, but it's, I think it's such a big part. You know, don't, don't minimize that experience and allow yourself to make it exactly how you want it to be.
0: Yes, absolutely. Allow your mind to go there. Like, why not? Like just dream big. Like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, it's just, it's just a thought, but it all starts with just a thought and, and starting to think of the possibilities of getting out of this cycle and, and really just serving yourself well and finding that peace. So I want to bring it back to parents for a second here, if we could, what is, so when it comes to parents and they're maybe listening to this and they're thinking, oh dear, like, I, I feel like maybe I have done a few of these things, or maybe I've made some off the cuff comments. What is the best advice for parents who are worried that they've maybe already passed a little bit of this diet culture mindset onto their kids?
1: Well, I think for me, I mean, I really thought about this. Um, I think it comes down to honesty. Right. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of being honest with my kids. And when I make a mistake, or when I learn better, I tell them that, you know, I, you know, this is the way I was taught. And this is the way I was raised. And this is how this wasn't helpful. But now that I know this way, this is how I want to live my life. Because Obviously there's going to be mistakes along the way. We're going to pick up bad information. And sometimes we're picking up a lot of bad information from a lot of sources, you know, and then showing them not only, you know, teaching them the new words, like, yeah, when you feel really bad about that, what are the words that you can say to help build yourself back up? Not mm-hmm. only just don't just assume they know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for, I mean, we'll use the the gender thing with the females, you know, I spent a lot of time talking very negatively about myself in the mirror. Nobody taught me, when you have these thoughts, these are the thoughts I want you to leave with. Don't leave that mirror without saying these thoughts, because these are also true. Um, Nobody teaches you those things. You're just supposed to figure it out as you go. And so I think it's not only when you learn something new, you teach them as well, but then you model it and you give them the words so that they don't have to try to come up with the words themselves.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's such a great suggestion to really help to start to create that new script, that new script that you were talking about. And a lot of times it could be learning together, even if you don't have it all perfect or all figured out, like it's okay to learn with your kids. And as, as you just said, We have a lot of bad information and we've taken in a lot of bad information over the course of our lives. So just kind of taking a a step back and looking at that and reevaluating and being like, hmm, you know what? Maybe this isn't so great. How can we change it? And then being honest, like that seems like such a simple thing, like just be honest with your kids. But sometimes we just don't make that connection between having a thought, knowing that we should change it. And oh, yeah, I got to inform my kid. About that as well, and then help them grow out of that too.
1: Yeah, and kids have a great way of bringing things into the light that you have been trying to hide. Like, I remember one time I was, oh, I was following this one diet thing because I was trying something new. A lot of my clients were doing it. So I wanted to experience it firsthand. And um, it was actually, there was more to it, but I basically eliminated the starch at dinner time. Let's just give you the, the shortcut version. And um, it's funny because my one son's like, Mom, why aren't you eating the pasta? And I was like, oh, I'm just trying something different. And he's like, but you always say that we need to have every part of the meal on our plates. Why does that rule change for you? Mm-hmm. And I he's like, ah I'm like <laughs> I'm like, you're right. You are absolutely right. There is no reason why I should, you know, be the exception because I have that expectation from you. So therefore you should have that same expectation from me. And it was just one of those teaching moments where I was like, you're right. You're right. Like I can't teach you one thing and then do a completely different thing. That's not authentic. And kids have a great way of picking up
0: on that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I kinda, that's that's kind of funny, actually, that your son called you out on that and was like, hmm, wait a minute here. <laughs> So when it comes to your kids and eating meals and meal times, you just mentioned that one of your rules is they have to have every part of the meal on their plate, I believe is what you said. So I'm just kind of curious, like how you navigate that with your kids and, you know, how you navigate if they don't particularly like something or as they were growing up. I know they're a little bit older now, but as they were growing up and learning like about foods and maybe a little hesitant to try foods, how you kind of navigated that and and. How that, how that rule kind of works out in your family.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Typically, the the protein, the meat portion, and the starch portion isn't the problem. <laughs> usually, <laughs> those are the parts that the kids really enjoy. It's the vegetables. Mm-hmm. So, a couple of things that I have done throughout the years that have worked for our family is I always make two different vegetables at dinner time, mm-hmm. um, because the vegetables are the ones that are usually the wild card. That I don't like green beans or I don't like carrots. So, I've just gotten into the habit of always making two. So that way I can just say, well, pick the one you like more. And if you don't like either, pick the one you like better. <laughs> um, but a vegetable will be on your plate because that's part of a healthy diet. You know, we need to have our nutrients and our... So if they pick both, that's fabulous. If they pick one, we're still winning. Um, we also have this underlying rule. Um, we all agree upon it. Um, so there is no, there's no shame. There's no coercing or bribing. But if you do not like the food that I have prepared for, for the meal, then you can go get a fruit and a vegetable. And it has to be both. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, I need to make sure that you have the nutrients you need to grow and develop. Um, but the rule is if you choose the fruit and the vegetable, I will not cut it and I will not cook it because I've done that it's on your plate. So if you are not old enough to use a serrated knife, and you want a kiwi as your fruit, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Either eat the skin or pick a different fruit. Like It is what it is because I have done the work of preparation. But I never got upset with them because I still wanted them to feel like if there was something they really, really did not like, um, they had an an opt-out, but not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a bowl of cereal because I could see that especially with five of them, it could have turned on me very quickly. So I had to maintain some sense of control over the situation while right. not letting them feel like they were
0: um, they had no choice. Right. Yeah. No, that's such a good approach to it. I'm curious about your, your opinion about this. So I hear a lot about the, the clean plate club or you can't leave the table until you finish your dinner. I feel like that's a little bit more of how past generations were raised and as we're raising our kids it's phasing out a bit but I know a lot of families still have the rule of you can't leave the table until you eat everything on your plate. I'm just kind of curious about your opinion to the the clean plate club I think I've heard it called.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm like a card-carrying member. Like <laughs> that's that was what I grew up with and I think a lot of it is, you know, either our parents or grandparents, at least in our generation, they, you know, went through the depression. So I think that's where it came from. You know, we do not waste food because it's not a resource that we have a lot, you know, a a great abundance of. So, um, but then what it does is it forces you to eat past your fullness cues. And then a lot of times we're bribing dessert with the clean plate. So not only are we eating past fullness cues, but now we're stuffing in dessert in order to, you know, get the taste of it, which then, you know, creates a whole host of problems. So I like to follow, um, Ellen Sater's rule when it comes to, it's called the division of responsibility. And so as parents, your job is to offer healthy, nutritious foods at regularly scheduled intervals. And it's your child's job to determine if he's going to eat and how much, Mm -hmm. and as long as nobody crosses boundaries and nobody crosses the lines, all is good. So, you know, there are going to be times when, you know, some of my kids, they weren't hungry, but then that doesn't mean we're opening up the kitchen a half an hour later after dinner, because now all of a sudden you're hungry and you want pretzels because you didn't want the food that we had at dinner time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my kids always knew there was going to be another opportunity to eat, but it wasn't going to be the time they wanted it to be. I got to set the time. I got to offer the healthy foods. But they ultimately got to decide if they were going to eat it and how much.
0: So I think, yeah, I think that approach is really something that is catching on of letting your child decide and listening to their body of those fullness cues and those hunger cues. And I think it's great that you're keeping control over the situation by having those scheduled times of when the food is. So it's, obviously you're not going to let your child starve, but you know, you're setting up rules and expectations for everybody and it just seems to make it easier without having that rule of you need to eat past your fullness cues of the clean plate club.
1: Yeah. I probably spend the majority of my day reteaching adults. What are their, what, how to identify their hunger cues and how to identify their fullness cues. I mean, that is a good part of my day because it is something they did not learn as a child. It wasn't almost like an expected. Oh, of course you'll just know. Not necessarily depending on what kind of culture you grew up in and what the food rules and expectations were of the family. So it's a lot of, hey, let's get to learn and get to know you. Let's get to relearn and reintroduce yourself to you and know how your body communicates these signals so that you can be successful.
0: Yes, absolutely. So Adrian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And before we wrap it up, would you mind telling everybody where they can find you online, where they can connect with you? Because I am sure there is someone out there right now thinking, huh, what are my hunger and my fullness cues? Because I have no idea. So can you tell people where they can connect with you? Of course. Of course. Yeah.
1: So I have a podcast as well called Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Um, The podcast is named after my book, Nourish, Eat, Repeat. uh, That was published uh, 2019. So that's available on Amazon and and all the major retailers. Um, And then you can also find us and our business um, at Body Metrics Health. That is our website, our Facebook, our Instagram page. So... Nurse Repeat or Body Metrics Health. Either one, you'll find me there.
0: All right, perfect. And of course, you guys, we will put all of her links into the show notes so you can easily find her there. Adrian, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you today.
1: Of course, you as well. Thanks for
0: having me. Love that episode and can't wait for more? Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a show. There's new episodes every Tuesday, but in the meantime, why not come on over and say hey on social? You can find me on the gram and i say the gram because you know i'm a cool mom you can find me on the gram at unstoppable moms fitness i'll talk to you next week